And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation, a sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. Yes, Applause of one. <laughs> Way to go, John. <laughs> My it's like board the end of the old, uh, the, the old laugh-in episodes where you just heard the one, one hand clapping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he would kind of fade out. You know. yeah. Welcome, everybody. This is The Bible Live, and this is uh, The Soap Show. John is here with me, and I hope that you're going to be with us for the next 90 minutes. We're going to talk about all things biblical. As you know, The Bible Live is dedicated to uh, letting you hear the Bible. My old buddy and uh, co-host for many years, uh, my Jewish uh, pal, used to talk about the fact that the most important thing about this program is is not what we would say, uh, neither he nor I would, would say, not our words, but that people get a chance to actually hear the Bible. So if you tune in, as our introduction explained, Monday through Friday, uh, you were able to hear the entire Bible every year. We would read through the entire Bible, uh, a fifteen to twenty minute reading every weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Well, we don't all we don't have the readings now on the radio. We put the readings uh, on actually on on our uh, website and on uh, the podcast here at uh, KSLR, and you can go and find the same reading schedule. And the same 15 to 20 minute readings, and you can make your way through the entire Bible with, with us every year. Only now you get a chance to listen to it wherever you are, in your office, at your computer, in your car, uh, with your smartphone, or through your, your uh, what, whatever instrument you, you use. Uh, in, in the vehicle or at work or wherever, you can listen and we can read together through the Scriptures. The New Living Translation, a good, clear, modern version of the Scriptures, and you can do that with us through the year. We keep that same reading schedule, and you'll find that reading schedule posted uh, at both our websites, the, the radio station website, uh, AM630, The Word, am630theword.com. You can go and find the Bible, the reading uh, program, and you can find the in, all the podcasts 
You can find uh, the schedule and, and just listen to that 15 or 20-minute reading each weekday. Uh, it's not just the reading. In a, in a verbal or oral com, uh, context there, we felt that it really needed to give you just a little bit of introduction to each reading so that you have a sense of where the reading, if you're listening for the first time, you'll know where that reading is coming from, what a little bit of the historical context uh, of the Bible, where we are in a particular book, for example, and then introduce the reading and then uh, listen to the reading and, and in some some response to it, but just very little. Most the whole, almost all of the program is given to you getting a chance to hear a good, clear, flawless reading of the Bible itself. So uh, hope that you'll go there to uh, am six thirty the word dot com, or you can go to our website, the program website, the Bible Live, the Bible Live, like Saturday Night Live. Okay. The Bible Live, my wife gave the name to it for 20-something years ago. Our, the, uh, we've been doing this, and Suzanne is the one who came up with the name uh, for the Bible Live and .com. Okay, that's where you go, and you can find the podcast and hear uh, all, all those readings or catch up on the readings or go back and listen to any of them you want. They're all posted there. It shows you the passages that uh, each reading, each program covers. And so you could do that. And then, of course, uh, at our website and at the station website as well, you'll find the questions that we ask on Sunday night here on the Bible Live Quiz Show. You'll find all of those questions are posted each week, and you can go through. They're great study help. If you, you listen to the scriptures and then you read through those questions, they will help you retain uh, information from the scriptures, of what you have read, what you've listened to. And they will also help you to learn some of the details and the background uh, of those scripture passages. So you can find the questions and uh, that we use here on Sunday night uh, to ask and put on the airways for you. And you can find them there, know the answers. And then, of course, on Sunday nights, you can call in and give us an answer. Uh, maybe call in with your own questions as well. If you come up with a question about the scriptures or about God or about this whole idea of knowing God in a personal way, what is that all about? How does that work? Uh, maybe you have a question about uh, the Bible or, or the Christian life or about or about Christ or any aspect of the redemptive plan of God that is laid out for us in the scriptures. So there it is. I hope that you will uh, join with us. And uh, mainly, more important than anything, going through the Scriptures, getting into the Bible. The, one of the things that I've noticed more and more, if you, if I could talk to your pastor, I could talk to uh, pastors and rabbis across the nation, uh, one of the great things that most are most alarmed about is that there is a growing uh, biblical illiteracy in, in this land. At one time, the Bible was so well known across uh, America, and as I was growing up and, uh, uh, many years ago, and today, by the way, is my birthday. I share the birthday with, with Donald Trump, the Trump himself, and and John's sister, my sister. Yes, yeah, we Tara. all Flag Day, USA. So uh, today is my birthday. But uh, when I was uh, growing up, the Bible was so much more well known. I remember in in, in school, elementary school, and so on, we read. There was a, a passage of the Bible read every every morning as we started school. Uh, there was a prayer that was given. Uh, one of the students, one of the uh, maybe the the um, 
class president of this class or that or the other or the football uh, team quarterback or captain or something. One of the one of the leaders in in the school would would uh, read a passage and and would say a word of prayer as we started the day, and uh, just it's created an atmosphere of respect and tolerance and 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 wanting to be right and do right. And respect. I was raised in a home for homeless and delinquent boys, 400 hairy-legged guys in a very kind of crazy uh, background and situation, and uh, kind of, you know, male-dominated, testosterone-driven atmosphere, and we needed God's Word there to kind of rein us in and keep us our, our mindset of respect and, and, uh, and, and doing good and being right. Uh, and so treating each other right. So anyway, that, that's the time we lived in. But since those, that's many decades ago now, and uh, we've gone through a long time where, where this country, more and more our society and our people are, have moved away from uh, the understanding of this book of books, the Bible. It is such an important book because it not only is it, it is the fountain and the source um the inspiration, basically, for all of Western civilization, uh, but also in this particular country, the United States of America, uh, the Bible was so formative in all of our nation's leaders, our founding fathers, our founding documents, the Constitution, Declaration of Independence, Federalist Papers, and so on, so often the most quoted uh, book in our founding documents, this book called the Bible. The principles there are so important and uh, it, just for every purpose, uh, and, and we want to we want to get to know that book again. Now, this past week, we read the entire book of Romans, which is really uh, probably probably one of the most important books of the Bible. If if you're wanting to know what the Bible is all about. If you want because some people they get a Bible, they 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 come to have an interest in God and in or they come to faith in, in Jesus Christ and they trust the Lord and they begin their journey, their spiritual journey with the Lord. And so somebody gives them a Bible and says, "Here, boy, you got to read this book." And 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 it's true. This book it's it's so crucial, so vital and important and you start reading and if you depending on where you start and maybe a little bit of how much kind of understanding you have, it could be it could be wonderful. It could feed your soul. Of the scriptures do that. You find so much hope and encouragement. But then there are other parts of the Bible. If you start reading there, let's say uh, the book of um, even the, the Hebrew scriptures: Genesis, Exodus, Levitic, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. You get into those history. Some of those books you get into, and you can get lost real fast. You think, "Whoa, what is this? I don't get uh, what is this about." Now, I would say certainly for a new believer, someone who has just come to faith in Christ and just beginning their walk with the Lord, the New Testament is probably the best for for understanding who Jesus was, what was the role that Jesus had, uh, at least on a basic fundamental level, in terms of the redemptive plan of God and for our lives as believers. Uh, you read the Gospels, the Gospel of John, for example. Uh, and then I would say the book of Romans comes in a pretty close second there because it begins to lay the groundwork of of tying the, the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, to the New Testament, and we begin to see the, the unity of the Scriptures from beginning to end. Because it's really not just one book, the Bible. 
as as most of you know by now, I think uh, the Bible is, in fact, uh, made up as as most of us have in the Bible that it, uh, in the popular uh, canon and uh, the understanding we have of the scriptures now, the Bible is uh, made up of sixty six different books. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, uh, there are 39 that come called the Hebrew Scriptures. They were written before the birth and life and death, resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. Uh, but, but the Old Testament talked about this Messiah. They talked about this Redeemer, this Savior that God is going to send, that he would be the righteous branch. He would be a just and holy, righteous king uh, who would sit on the throne and, and be uh, the leader of God's people. And the, the the Old Testament introduces us to the Messiah and look forward to the Messiah. Over 300 passages talking about who he uh, who he is, what he would be like, what would be his his um, his uh, genetic lineage, his ancestry, what would where he would be born, what kind of person he would be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and what would be the nature of his work. Uh, in the redemptive plan, what he would be like, what he would do, uh, and how he would affect, bring to pass the reconciliation between a holy, just, and righteous God and fallen, sinful, selfish human beings so that we could come into that relationship with him. So the Old Testament is there. And in the New Testament, of course, Messiah comes. He presents himself. Uh, he, we, we were already told what would happen to him. We knew he would be... Uh, a conquering king, that he would be uh, a, a great king. He would he would uh, ultimately rule over God's people forever. But but first, there w- there was a time he would be a suffering servant. He would he would be a suffering servant who would take the sins of humanity upon himself. He who knew no sin would become sin for us. So we got we get this picture of the redemptive plan of God, uh, and it's all laid out for you so very clearly in this letter. Uh, we call it the Book of Romans. It's a letter that um, Saul of Tarsus, who was a Pharisee of the first century, he was an enemy of the gospel. He opposed uh, Jesus uh, the Christ. He was part of the uh, part of the uh, Jewish leadership that rejected Jesus, uh, who he was, his claims to be the Messiah, and what he was doing. Uh, Saul, Paul did not understand, did not agree, and went about persecuting those who were following Jesus the way. And so he was at first an enemy, but then he had his, on the road to Damascus, he had his meeting. He had an encounter with the risen, resurrected Christ, the Messiah himself, and his conversion. And so this converted Jewish Pharisee became the great missionary Paul uh, of the first century. And he was the one who went to, took the gospel to all these cities and, and, and uh, Berg, small towns, big towns, major cities, and so on. Jerusalem itself, he was the one that took the gospel to these places and suffered greatly, a great deal of persecution, both from the Romans and uh, from those who opposed the gospel message. Uh, but he uh, he came and served in that way and helped take the gospel to to the whole world of the first century. Uh, all across the Roman Empire, so and he wrote these letters back to the churches that the the assemblies of people and by churches, you know the word church. I was talking to my wife about this this week. 
The word church in Greek is ecclesia. Uh, you can hear a little bit of that in the in the in the Latin iglesia or in Spanish uh, iglesia ecclesia. And you know what the word means? The word ecclesia. Any idea, John? No. What the word ecclesia? We think of church today, and we think. Oh, these, we think of all this structure. We think about these beautiful buildings with the cross on top, and we think of this, you know, these sanctuaries that are beautiful and all of this. The word ecclesia simply means assembly, a meeting really? place. Mm. It's just, you know, people come together. It's natural that people come together around many things. People that have a, a common interest. Uh, if we like hunting, if we like fishing, if we like. Uh, sewing, if we like cooking, if we like... Oh, people, we tend to come together. Well, now, um, the gathering, the meeting here, the ecclesia, was those who loved God and wanted God and followed after Him and came to faith in a relationship with God through Jesus the Christ. They naturally would come together. They would meet and encourage each other and pray together and worship the Lord together. They would read the Scriptures and grow together. Uh, that's it, it really isn't more fancy than that. Now, obviously, it's it takes on a big meaning to us when we talk about the Church of Jesus Christ, the the people of God, the people, the followers of Christ all over the world. Obviously, these meetings, these assemblies, take on different characteristics. They have, they speak different languages from culture to culture and country to country. They meet in different venues, sometimes in great cathedrals and sometimes in just homes and sometimes in 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 a in a in a backyard somewhere or in a a field somewhere. Believers would gather together to grow and worship and pray together and encourage one another. Um, sometimes under duress and persecution, other times with liberty. I've been in so many of these places around the world: India, China, Mongolia, Ukraine. Russia, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, and some of the more exotic places, uh, and you go and you, you meet with people in in barns and in homes, and sometimes you meet uh, clandestinely in hiding. Um, it, it, the ecclesia can take many, many different forms, but uh, Paul talks about the, in the book of Romans. He write he would write letters to these churches. Uh, that he went to in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Colossae, uh, and all these different congregations and place cities that he was in, he would write letters back to them and encouraging them and guiding them and teaching them. Uh, and uh, one of these letters was written to the believers who were living in Rome. Now, Paul, uh, he wrote this letter to them before he ever visited Rome. Most of the other letters he was writing to the church at Corinth, for example, or Ephesus, uh, he knew some of the people. He had been there visiting them, and lived. he lived in Ephesus for a couple of years, in Ephesus at least, and Corinth a number of a uh, great deal of time as well, two or three uh, visits. And um, so, but in Rome, Paul had never been there, so he wrote the most complete presentation, his, the, the most complete theological presentation, a presentation about the gospel, about the God of the Bible, the plan of God for for humanity. Uh, he begins at the very beginning with God the Creator and the nature of men uh, and, and how God dealt with men and all men everywhere. And he just lays out some of those basic fundamental principles of the b- biblical message. 
And uh, so that's why the Book of Romans every year, I really enjoy it and, in, and encourage you to read and listen to the Book of Romans. Paul will help make sense of the Bible. To, if, you, if you get it and you understand the big picture of who God is, who the God of the Bible is, and what he's doing with mankind, what his plan is, and uh, his plan of, of reconciling fallen sinful men and women to himself – all over the world. You find all of that in the book of Romans. It's explained very clearly, and it gives you some handles and a perspective with which then you can go and read the book of Genesis or Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. You can read the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and it'll make sense because you have a bird's-eye view of, oh, so this is what God's doing. Now, ultimately, it culminates, the plan of God, the redemptive plan of God, culminates with the Messiah himself, with the life and ministry, uh, the death uh, and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. The word Christ is just the the Greek transliteration of the Hebrew word, Meshuch, or Messiah, this anointed one, this Redeemer, this Savior that had been long promised, looked forward to in the Hebrew Scriptures, and discovered, uncovered, and 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 revealed in the New Testament, uh, in the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And so uh, I would say the book of Romans is a real high point of the Scriptures. I hope if you got the list, listen, listen to it this past week, uh, it's there on our on both websites, uh, uh, am630theword.com and thebiblelive.com. You can go to both of them and just find the podcast for this last week, either by date or by passage, and you can hear and listen to the entire book of Romans. Uh, it will be a tremendous blessing to you and help you understand the Bible in its context. Uh, so if you're a new believer or someone who maybe has had some trouble with some parts of the Bible, um, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job's, the Psalms, uh, the, knowing the big picture will really help you to put those those particular books in place and understand them in their context, in their historical context, where they were written and to whom they were written. You will understand more clearly because you know the big picture. You can see how they contribute to the ongoing, uh, the unveiling, the uh, the unrolling of the redemptive plan of God in the Scriptures. So uh, I hope that you'll do that, the book of Romans. Now, all of my questions tonight come from the book of Romans, chapters 1 through 16. Uh, now, on Friday, we had finished the book of Romans, so we went right on into back to the Hebrew Scriptures. We're going to pick up with Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, and go on from there. We'll pick up where we left off after we read uh, the books of First and Second Chronicles. So, uh, but tonight let's focus on the Book of Romans, uh, chapters one through sixteen. This great, uh, very complete presentation of the redemptive plan of God from the pen of the Apostle Paul, this converted Jewish Pharisee of the first century, who become the who became perhaps one of the greatest missionaries of of the world of the Christian era, uh, the Apostle Paul. So. Uh, now, in the Roman Empire, freedom and citizenship were precious possessions. Over half of the people in the of the population in the time of Jesus in the first century, over half of the people that lived in the, in the Roman Empire were uh, were in slavery. They were in bondage. 
They were uh, indentured slaves, a different kinds of bondage to to uh, their owners, and so freedom was an incredible theme, uh, just unbelievable idea of liberty and freedom and and Roman citizenship was so precious because uh, that that was there was freedom in that the rest of the world lived in in bondage and slavery, uh, but Paul starts his letter to the Romans, calling himself what. When Paul writes to the believers in Rome, remember he's never been there before himself, so he writes to the believers in Rome and the letter is delivered. He introduces himself as what? What does Paul call himself in the very first verse of the first book of Romans? Um, Then, let me go on. Uh, Let me... uh, I'll point this out. How do men and women... According to Paul in the book of Romans, how, by what means, what is the means by which men and women uh, receive the message of God, the gospel message? How do, what, is the, what is the means by which men and women experience uh, the truth of God, the experience spiritual life in God, in connection with God? What is the means by which uh, human beings are brought into the experience of God in our lives. What is the means by which we are to experience God in our lives? That's found in Romans chapter 1. Like I said, Paul sets out in a very orderly way, lays out very clearly these founding principles of of a relationship with God. So what is the means by which we are to uh, accept and experience uh, the transforming power of of uh, a relationship with God in our lives. All right. I hope that's. Hope I'm not being. Um, uh, I hope it's not too nebulous to you. I'm trying not to give away the answer, but ans- these are founding principles that lays out uh, to us. Now, uh, Paul talks about this as well in the first chapters of Romans. What is the witness? that God has given of himself to every every human being on planet Earth. And from Adam and Eve till today, every human being all across the world today, 7.2 or 7.3 billion people on planet Earth. Some of them have never read a Bible. They've never seen a Bible. Some of them, many have never heard the name of Jesus. But there is a witness that God has given of himself to every human being on planet Earth. Chapter 1, again, Book of Romans, Chapter 1. I hadn't even gotten out of Chapter 1 so far. Verses 19 and 20. So I've given you three good questions. If you'd like to try to answer one of them, help us out with an answer. Or maybe you discuss anything else on your mind. Give me a phone call. 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. That's the Bible Live call in line. And we're, John and I are sitting here waiting on your call, eager to hear from you. Hope that you'll join with us. Now, don't go away. Dr. We'll be right back. Dr. Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the dollar family that Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590 590- 
is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right, we are back. Thank you for joining us here on the Bible Live. We're coming back to our consideration tonight of the book of Romans in the New Testament. This this, uh, letter written by the Apostle Paul to the believers in Rome with whom he had never visited. He had never been in their city, so he lays out this very, very well-organized, very logical presentation about the gospel message, the good news. The word gospel means good news uh, of the Messiah's coming, the Savior, the Redeemer. And he lays it out for them. And some of the great great, um, principles of the scriptures that would help us to understand the whole Bible. Maybe you're someone who's tried to read, uh, let's say, the book of Leviticus or Job, or you've yeah. You know, now, some of the passages of the Bible. Let me let me say that the Bible is made up, of course, of about at least four different kinds of literature. There is history. In other words, there are lots of just stories, stories, and some of them are are the big picture of wars and battles and this king and that king and so on. But others are very interesting personal stories of Daniel in the lion's den and David and Goliath and Noah and the great flood. So you have history is one of the types of literature we find in the Bible. Then you'll find uh, you'll find these great sermons and preaching and teaching in, in, in the Bible. Uh, about what it is to walk with God and serve God and be true to God and know God. And then, of course, uh, you've got history, you've got sermons, um, you've got even poetry, in fact, uh, in the Bible. Songs and music, uh, that's what we find in in the book of Proverbs, in the book of the Psalms and the Proverbs. We find uh, um, actually there were actually music and and songs that were... uh, Put together and sung, uh, uh, songs of worship, songs of praise. Uh, there were sometimes there were, there were psalms that talked about the difficulty and the hardship and the trials and tribulations that that were uh, experienced by those who followed after God. Because it, it's not it's not easy to, to follow after God in searching. We have to. There are a lot of things that we have to deny ourselves, our own wishes and desires, and sometimes we, we live in a, a fallen world. We live in a world where good and evil coexist, and so uh, oftentimes we're not given an exemption uh, when we are come to faith in God and a walk with God. We don't, we're not given uh, all of a sudden everything comes up, a bed of roses and, and so on. No, we suffer a great deal, and, and so the, some of the Psalms talk about the frustration and the difficulty, difficulty and the disappointment. Appointments uh, uh, that come as part of our walking with God and our life with God. So uh, you've got history, uh, you've got uh, sermons, you've got instructions about how to live uh, 
the the life with God, think how to treat people around us, how we should treat, how the people of God should treat others around them, how we should live in our families and treat one another in our family units, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, and uh, even the the travelers among us, and so on. And, and then, of course, you have, as I mentioned, the poetry. So you got all these different kinds of literature throughout uh, the Bible, but they are telling us uh, they. All have all of them pointing. There's one redemptive narrative that runs like a scarlet thread through the Bible, uh, and and if you know what that scarlet thread is, that that redemptive plan uh, that that God has in put put in place, the idea is that uh, God has caused men. Uh, he has acted. He has spoken in history with with individuals, with people groups, with families, and so on, and He has caused a record of that experience to be written down and put down, recorded and preserved. And that's what we call the Bible. That is the Bible. It's 66 different books written over a period of about 1,500 years uh, that covers that period of time. And they, uh, I mean, covering from the time they were written, about the time when they were coming out of Egypt is when the the Bible began to be written uh, first from the pen of Moses uh, and during the 40-year wandering in the wilderness uh, on their way from Egypt to the Promised Land. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of the law, the books of Moses, uh, the first books. and then. Uh, but there's a theme that runs throughout them all. There's one given theme, uh, clearly the redemptive plan of God for humanity. And uh, we can talk more about that. But when you get to the book of Romans, uh, I've given you several questions. Uh, in the in the Roman Empire, freedom and citizenship were precious possessions. But Paul starts his letter to the Romans calling himself what? And that's found in chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Romans. Believe it or not, Paul, although he is himself a Roman citizen, which we come to understand as we read about his uh, adventures of uh, his years of being a missionary laborer and taking the message of, of the Christ across the Roman Empire, we find out, in fact, that Ro- that Paul was, by birth, a Roman citizen. He, di- he didn't have to buy or purchase his citizenship. He was born as a Roman citizen. But in spite of that, he starts his letter to the Romans calling himself a slave, a bondservant, uh, one who has given himself into voluntary servant servitude to Jesus Christ. He calls himself a slave of Jesus Christ. Very interesting there. And then uh, he also lays out for us in chapter 1 of the book of Romans, he, he, he lays out very quickly how is it that we... Uh, can experience God. What is the guiding principle? What is the means by which any human being that comes into a fellowship with God, any human being that is restored to a relationship with God and is forgiven and cleansed and comes into a relationship with a holy and just God, uh, the only way, the means by which we experience that relationship with God is faith. Faith. Nobody knows, uh, not anybody knows, uh, with with uh, total absolute knowledge, uh, the truth of the gospel. Yet we we know it 
by faith, we accept it as true and, that, and absolutely as true as best we can, but we don't know it by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And so it's important that we understand that if we're going to know God and walk with God, that we're going to have to be able to place our faith and trust. Now, when the Bible talks about faith, it's it, you might as well put the word obedience at the end of it. Faith obedience. Uh, it's not just intellectual assent, just believing. Uh, Paul uh, James talks about that in the book of James that that uh, even the even the devils, even Satan himself has believes that God exists. But it's not about it's it's by trusting and obeying. Remember the old hymn: uh, "Trust and obey." There's no other way but to be to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Faith expresses itself through obedience. We desire to follow, to obey, to submit our will. We die to ourself. It's another biblical uh, image we were given. We die to ourself, and we become alive unto God to serve Him and trust Him and walk with Him. So faith is the means by which we come into the relationship with God, not by performance. You know, we're not saved by our good works, by becoming good enough. Our good works outweigh our bad works. That's not that's not the measure uh, by which we come into a relationship with God, or no one ever would come to that relationship, because there's none good, no, not one. The Bible says we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A passage from Romans chapter 3, verse 23. We've all sinned, all of us, and fall short of God's glory. And the wages, according to chapter 6 of Romans, the wages of that sin, the consequences, is death. Spiritual separation from God. Now, the word death in the Bible is not just, uh, we think of it uh, sometimes, I thought of, think of death as ceasing to exist. But the word death is not, it's a relational term. It's not an existential term. It means that we have become separated from life. What happens if uh, if old Soapy Dollar were to give up the ghost tonight and, and die right here on the radio? What would happen? The, the spirit, the soul would separate from the body when it would have a dead body. There's a separation. And so the, the Bible says the wages, the consequences of sin is spiritual death. We become separated and relationally from God, him, whom, who is our life. We were created for that relationship with him. And we've, we have become spiritually dead, according to the book of Ephesians. And so, uh, by faith then, we come into our faith and trust in Jesus, and by faith, we receive the free gift of, of eternal life. Well, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through all who love him and respond to him. That's the gift that God has given to us in Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. So by faith we receive that gift of salvation and life, and by faith then we walk in the Lord. That's one of the primary lessons from the book of Romans, chapter 1, verse 17. Faith, by faith, uh, is the key. That's the coin of the realm. Uh, here in, in among the people of God in the kingdom of God on this planet earth the the way that we experience God in in his message and in, in the life that he has for us is through faith that is our the correct heart response to him and you know another thing that comes to me about the word faith and and you'll see, find that is a key uh, in chapters one, two, uh, of uh, three chapters one, two, and three of the book of Romans. He lays that out that that Abraham was not justified 
before God. Abraham, the the uh, the man that God spoke to and, and called to Himself in, in the Old Testament, uh, even Abraham, who considered to be the father of, of the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation, uh, he himself did not perform; he did not earn God's relationship, but it, by faith he trusted in God and God's promises. And, and so Paul points that out very early that faith is still the key to coming to know God. It is the means by which we enter into that relationship with God. Uh, someday we'll walk the streets of gold and we'll know by sight, but in this world it's by faith. And th- th- what you have to know about it, another thing that we see in the book of Romans, is that faith is a common gift. Uh, uh, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift from God to all men. That's why faith is the only fair, just means by which we come to God, because faith uh, in some measure is given to every one of us. Everybody, we, in fact, is faith is a common... Some I've talked to some people over the years uh, of ministry. I've been on the mission field uh, sharing the message of the gospel and with young men and women all over the world, all over the planet uh, and here in our own city and uh, tens of thousands of young men and women here uh, in our own nation uh, being able to share with them this message of the gospel. And, and the thing is, is faith, a measure of faith is given to each and every one of us. It's a... It's a that's what makes the playing field level. If it were based on intelligence and only people who have, a, let's say, an IQ of maybe 85 or above or maybe 90 or above, uh, and maybe they would be the only ones. If it was based on intelligence, if it was based on, on any other thing, uh, emotional experience or performance, uh, no one would make it in that case. But faith, in some measure, is given to all, every man, woman, and child. In fact, uh, everybody has faith. Uh, faith isn't just something that the Christians have or the religious people have. We live in that's what we most of the decisions you make in life are based on faith. You get out of bed in the morning. I mean, we go to bed at night. We just have faith that tomorrow morning the sun is going to come up and that uh, the sun will come up and a new day will begin. And we throw our legs off off the edge of the bed and we put our feet on the floor and we stand up knowing that this floor is going to be there. It's going to hold us up. And every day we make so many decisions. We don't we don't go through and think through every before we make any kind of a movement or any kind of decision at all. We we do a lot of things just based on faith and trust that it's happened that way before. It'll happen again. And and then we put our faith in uh, testimony. The people, We listen to our radio, and it says it's going to rain today, 90% chance of rain. So we take our umbrella. We believe them. We take faith, and we take their. Te- we ask a guy on the way, "Hey, can you tell me the way to the to the bank or to the post office?" And they says, "Oh, you go down three blocks and turn left. Go two blocks and turn right, and there's the post office." What do we do? You know, we believe him. That that's faith. We live. Faith is a common element, a common experience of human beings. Uh, by faith, we trust and experience uh, life uh, to a great extent. Through the measure of faith. A lot of people said, well, if you can prove uh, God exists scientifically to me. And so, well, most of the things we do in life are not governed by scientific uh, truth or exploration. It's Most of the decisions we make are, are made on the basis of faith. We trust someone. We trust something we've read. We trust our past experience. It's going to happen again, and, and it does. So faith is given to all. That makes it a playing field that it's even. And we know that that God has revealed himself 
to all human beings. And we, I mentioned that to you in Romans chapters 1, verses 19 and 20. Uh, it talks about the fact that God has given a common revelation, a general revelation of himself to all men and women everywhere, and that is through nature, through creation. And, and uh, through the scriptures that is expounded upon, you can talk about the, th- the three C's of revelation. God has revealed himself in what we call general revelation to all men everywhere. When I go into, uh, 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 when I went into Honduras, back into the, the uh, rainforest and back into the mountains and the jungles of Honduras or, or Guatemala or uh, in other countries of Latin America, across countries of, uh, in, in, Guata- in, in, I'm sorry, Mongolia and other countries, back into the back countries of, uh, of India, for example. Um, You'll find that there are people who've, who've never heard uh, the name of Jesus. They don't know a lot about God, but you can, they know about God because of, the, of nature, the creation. And you can talk about the three C's of general revelation. There's creation, consciousness, and conscience. And these are common to men and women everywhere around the world. The, we see the same sun, the same moon, the same stars, the clouds, the rain, uh, the winds, the ocean, the mountains, the trees, nature. Uh, in the big picture of nature, you know, the grand uh, mega picture of nature from the, the, the planets and the stars and the moon, the seasons and the winds and so on, down to the, to the molecules and, and the insect world and, and to the small expressions and, and the processes of nature. So we see in that, we see order, we see intelligence, we see power. Uh, and and, and th- that is the, the general revelation of nature, of creation. Then we also have conscious consciousness. And by consciousness, what I mean is this special sensitivity, this special awareness that we have as human beings, uh, that we're not like the animal kingdom. We are able to separate ourselves from our environment. If you grew up on a farm like I did, uh, with um, cows and horses and dogs and cats and, and sheep and hogs and so on, you'll, you'll see quickly that animals are very different from human beings and that they react to their environment as part of their environment. Uh, they, are, they cannot separate themselves from their environment and, and, and reason and say, hmm, Here's a, a the path divides right here. If I go to the left, this is going to happen. If I go to the right, this is going to happen. They don't reason and think it through and so on. They they responding uh, instinctively within the context of their environment. Uh, now I'm talking in general terms here. There are certain uh, there obviously animals do enjoy as some level of reasoning or intellectual power, but I'm not talking so much about that, but but about the self awareness of the ability to separate yourselves from your environment, and and that is what gives rise in the human species. Uh, that's why we can think of ourselves as separate from our environment. We see ourselves as a person. Uh, we can reason. We we um, that gives rise to all kinds of things about why 
we as a one of the we we contemplate uh, purpose and meaning in life. Uh, I want my life to count. I want my life to count for good. I want to help people. We have we talk about values. We talk about uh, non material values, love and sacrifice and generosity, uh, and so on. Uh, these values that come because of our spiritual awareness of ourselves as spiritual beings, as uh, as free men and women of, of of intellect, of reason, and free will. And so we we talk about purpose and meaning in life and. And uh, we we put a value on beauty and art, and, and uh, sacrifice and generosity, and the values that, that that come. So that's part of the the awareness, the creation, the outer world, the the order and the of creation around us, and and within us. By the way, there's nothing more powerful than to watch the birth of a child and the growth of a child. Uh, we see the the, the human creature. It's so beautiful, and it's it's something that makes us aware. Often, brings people, men and women, to thoughts of God and and His goodness and His grace. But so we have creation, we have consciousness, the special awareness that we have as human beings that makes us wonder about life after death, about meaning and purpose and significance in life, uh, and and then there's finally the final C is consci- conscience, the the good and evil. What's right and what's wrong? Where does that come from? You know, in every culture and society of the world, whether you're in the rainforest of Brazil or the Amazon or, or some uh, the mountains of some remote area of in primitive area of the world, or you're in some of the mo- the oldest, most established uh, empires and people societies of the world, in, in Egypt and in, in, in uh uh, China, these ancient cultures, there's this, there's this understanding that there, there is a sense of ought in every culture, in every society. There are certain behaviors and attitudes that are considered to be wrong, shameful, and harmful, and, and, and they harm individuals, they harm society and families and, and relationships. And so we warn our children, we teach them uh, about these bad uh, attitudes and bad behaviors. Uh, and hurting others and so on and and so in every culture there there are these this awareness of a sense of ought there are certain behaviors that are that are considered to be bad harmful and and wrong and then there are certain other behaviors that are considered to be good and 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 beneficial and and right for us to practice and we we teach our children these and we we try to teach them and model for them and and sometimes we we punish children for the wrong behaviors and we award them and even in our societies we do the same thing so you have creation consciousness and conscience those are three aspects of the general revelation that is spoken of in Romans chapters 1 and 2 this God has revealed himself to every human being and that we are responsible to God for our response to the revelation of himself that he gives. And, and so when we respond to God uh, with love and, and with devotion and with desire toward God, he, God then is, he has made a redemptive plan, a means by which we can be reconciled to him through his son, Jesus the Messiah, even if people don't know about Jesus. I'm Native American. I'm Mescalero Apache uh, from the reservation in southern New Mexico. Uh, but the people in the Apache Nation and the Native American peoples from a thousand years ago who were here on this 
on this continent, North America. They didn't know about Jesus. They didn't know about the Bible. They didn't know about the Jewish people and so on and Abraham. But they they had the general revelation. And those who responded to God with love and devotion and affection and desire toward God, they God had made a plan. They didn't even know about Jesus. They didn't know about the redemptive plan. They didn't know about the cross of Calvary and the sacrifice of Calvary. But when they responded to the light uh, that God had given them of himself, they respond positively to the light they received. God applies the full benefit of the redemptive message to them, even they don't, they don't know about it fully or completely. None of us understand it 100%. Even those of us who know all of this about the redemptive plan of God, there's still so much about God and his redemptive plan and his person that we don't know. Thank goodness it's not an IQ test that you have to take before you go into heaven. But by faith, uh, we are received in the 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 redemptive work of the Christ, the Messiah, is applied to their lives. And God promises when they do respond positively to what they have heard, he promises to give them more. He brings more light. He sends a missionary. He gives them more insight, more understanding for them to experience more and more of the reality of God and God's presence and power in their lives on planet Earth, uh, on our way ultimately to glory. So uh, that's the idea. Faith is the common element. It's a common playing field, and all men have faith. Uh, like I said, some people said, I don't have faith. I wish I had you. Well, you do have faith. Uh, it's just the object of your faith. What is the object? Are we willing to place that faith in God and who he is and what he has accomplished on our behalf so that to come into an eternal relationship with him and to begin to walk with him? Are we willing to trust in his redemptive plan? And are we, are we willing to trust in his word and his instructions and his guidelines about how we should live as God's people, how we should treat each other and treat those around us and how we should behave? Uh, that's a, all an element of faith and trusting in him in his word. We're going to come back. I'm going to give you some more questions in just a moment. These three questions I gave you at the beginning were basic, fundamental questions that God gives us uh, and answers for us in the book of Romans. We'll come back and talk further about the book of Romans right after these brief messages. Don't go away. No one can come to me unless my father draw him. And I will raise him up, and I will raise him up. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Raise him up on the last day. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be
listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Bind us together with love. All right, we are back. Great theme coming to us. Uh, thank you, John. Great bumper music. Oh, these are times, difficult times we're going through, not only the coronavirus and all of the complication of that, but now we have all of this uh, uh, accusations and, and I don't know, cross accusations and this, who's a racist and who's not a racist and who's this and who's that. And uh, we seem like we're being torn apart as a culture, as a society. And uh, maybe it'll turn out for good. Maybe it'll cause us to go back to those basic fundamental questions of life and find those things that bind us, find those things that bring us together as human beings, as American citizens, as, as, uh, as even as the people of God. Uh, that is a great theme for us. So thank you, John. That was a great bumper for us. Now, we're looking at the book of Romans, and I've been trying to go through it kind of uh, systematically. I'm not going fast enough, really, here. But um, Paul is laying out here, essentially, the redemptive plan of God, starting with God the Creator and human beings of every, you know, without religion, without background, and he talks about how God revealed himself to all of us, to every human being, and that uh, essentially, those who desire God, love God, seek God, want God sincerely in their hearts, a, a, a thing that only God will know. He is the one that views, uh, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. And, and God knows in every culture, every society, and every time, who are those who seek after him, desire him, want him, and, and as best they can are responding to what they know God, God has revealed of himself to them. And so God knows that, and he is, uh, he is calling them to himself. Even as God has given not only general revelation that we have, but then we have special revelation where God stepped into time and space. He spoke, he acted, he involved himself with human beings, and he called a, caused a record of that, his involvement, to be laid down accurately, correctly, and preserved for it. That's what we call our Bible, an instrument of special revelation. And we have the benefit of the experience of all of those men and women who went before us and who have walked with God and had their experience. We've watched other nations rise and fall. We've watched other people, other families' experiences, other children, other uh, neighbors, and we can learn from their experiences as we look through the Scriptures about what it's like to know God and what we then, as God's people, how we then should act and behave and treat, how we should expect the world to be. Uh, we think everything's going to be a bed of roses. It's not. We still live in a world where good and evil coexist and bad things happen to good people, good things happen to bad people. Even the most perfect human being who ever lived, the one man who perfectly kept all of God's laws without any sin whatsoever at the age of 33 was nailed to a cross, unjustly tried, convicted, and executed. Uh, so uh, now there was a reason, there was a purpose for that, without a doubt. But the, what I'm trying to say is that uh, in this world, uh, even Jesus himself, you will have tribulation, you'll have difficulties and trug- struggles. But be of good cheer, he said, I have overcome the world. So we're waking up, making our way through the book of Romans, trying to kind of lay the foundation of some of these fundamental truths that, that Paul lays out for the believers in Rome so that they can grow and they can continue to share this message with power and with, with great power uh, throughout the Roman Empire of their time. And something we need to do as well. Now, 
Let me see if I can get uh, one other question I had circled here was the aspect of salvation where God forgives us and sees us just as if we had never sinned. In other words, the salvation that we have, uh, the word salvation, of course, it comes from the idea of being saved. And some people say, well, saved from what? Uh, I've had that asked to me over many years. What, what is this salvation? We're saved from sin, the consequences of sin, and the power of sin over our life. Uh, but the salvation that we have that is spoken of in the Bible, uh, most people don't know this. I hope you'll listen up if you're driving your car and listening. When we talk about salvation, in the Bible, there are three actual aspects of our salvation. And it has to do with time. Uh, we live in time and space, the past, the present, the future. And when we receive the salvation of God, it comes to us in three. It's one salvation. There aren't three different salvations, but we experience it in three kind of phases. The first step of salvation uh, is called justification. And if you look in Romans uh, chapter 5, it starts off, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justification, um, me, it's a, it, it's, it means that God now sees us just as if we'd never sinned. Uh, I'm justified means that God sees me just as if I'd never sinned. Because of the sacrifice of Calvary, the death of Jesus, who voluntarily gave his life, uh, even though he had no sin for his own to pay for, the, the, the wages of sin is death, he had no sin to pay for. He took the penalty of my sin upon himself. And so in justification, we have been delivered from the penalty of sin. Justification is in the past tense. For those of us who are believers already, I have been justified. I have been delivered from the penalty of sin. But as soon as I come in, I'm forgiven, I become part of the people of God uh, through justification, I begin the second phase of my salvation, which is called sanctification. Uh, and even in the Old Testament, the, G, the God of the Bible said, You will be holy, as I, the Lord your God, am holy. God is setting us apart for himself, and he is going to make us holy. So now we have to... Uh, the sanctification is the process of becoming what we already are. In justification, we are declared to be innocent. We are declared to be perfect. We are clothed in the in the spiritual uh, vested the, the the spiritual clothing of Jesus the Messiah. We are clothed in His perfection. So we are already perfect in, positionally or legally before the judgment seat of God because of the sacrifice of Calvary. But now, through the process of sanctification as God's children, we are, be, we are the process of becoming what we already are. In other words, we are becoming now in our practice, in our attitudes, in our behavior, uh, in our understanding, we are becoming perfect. Uh, we, are, we are growing to become more in our behavior to reflect who we are now in Christ. We begin more and more to reflect the character of Jesus Christ. We're in a process uh, directed and guided by the Spirit of God himself, who has comes alongside us as God's children. We'll talk about that in just a moment. The Spirit of God comes along us, walking with us. The word paraclete is the word used for the Holy Spirit. The paraclete, the comforter, uh, different expressions are used in the New Testament about the, the Holy Spirit. But the word paraclete means one called alongside. In other words, he is our spiritual escort. In the military, among basic trainees at Lackland Air Force Base, they have a, each one of them ha have to have a, 
a um, a sidekick, someone that walks alongside them, and they they they're partnered up with someone. They keep an eye out for each other, uh, and uh, they protect each other, and they uh, they warn each other, and they try to help each other be successful. Well, the 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 spirit of God is our spiritual sidekick, our spiritual wingman, as they are called in the Air Force, and He is there to escort you faithfully and unfailingly to glory. He is our escort through the process of sanctification. He is teaching us. He is molding us into the likeness of Christ. He is rubbing off the rough edges. He is He is leading us into all truth. These are many expressions that are given to us in the Bible about the work of the Holy Spirit within us. And he is the uh, takes the lead role now, now that Jesus has finished his role as the, the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer. Uh, Jesus has ascended to the Father. Now he promised when he left, he said, I've got to go away, you guys, but, so that the, the Father can send the Holy Spirit. And he is going to be your escort. He is going to be your guide uh, to to. Take your hand, those of you who know me, follow me, and he is going to faithfully and unfailingly escort you to glory. So that is the process of sanctification. We're being, we're becoming holy. We're growing in our walk with God, in our experience, in our expression of God's holiness in and through our lives. Sanctification. Now, that is an active, ongoing process. It's not one and done. It's throughout our life experience. I've been walking with the Lord now for over 60 years, and God is still working on me. There's still weaknesses and areas where God has to teach me and guide me and learn and and change me, and He's doing that uh, graciously and lovingly. He loves me and accepts me just the way I am, but He loves me too much to leave me that way. He keeps working to, to grow me up into the likeness of Jesus Himself. The Messiah. Then finally, when that work is finished, either when death takes us into God's presence or the Savior, maybe Jesus returns, uh, he has promised to return again, his second coming. And at that stage, we will enter into the third and final stage of our salvation called glorification. And the word, the only word that could describe it is glory. We will have been brought full circle into uh, that perfect. Uh, sinless relationship with our God. Uh, God will have finished the work of, 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 uh, of justifying us, sanctifying us, and in heaven and glory we'll walk in the perfectly in, 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 in that wonderful oneness relationship with our God. The same oneness relationship that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit experience with each other. That's what Jesus said in John chapter 17. Father, he said, bring them into that same oneness, that same love that you and I have shared from eternity past. So God is bringing us, his people, the people of God, uh, he's bringing us from all the ages, etern- from uh, from back to Adam all the way to the to the last minute. Uh, he's bringing us into His presence uh, in oneness and harmony with Him and with each other. That is what heaven and glory will be all about. So uh, that that we see the redemptive process, what salvation is. So when you see the Bible talking about salvation. Paul in the book of Romans here, for example, sometimes you have to wonder, is he talking just about justification or sanctification or glorification? Is he talking about one of those aspects of salvation, which is sometimes does speak to them as salvation? Or is he talking about the whole process as a whole? Uh, And you can pick that up from the context when you read it in your New Testament, in your Bible, the salvation of God. Now, 
the, I mentioned the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is uh, uh, mentioned greatly in the book of Romans as well. God, ta- Paul talks about the fact that the Holy Spirit, that every believer, everyone who comes to faith in Christ, whether it's an eight-year-old child like I was when I trusted in Jesus, or it's a 75-year-old man who finally comes to faith, uh, that's pretty rare. You know, The older we get, the more uh, we tend to get locked into our own patterns. But then uh, sometimes, in God's grace, there are men and women who have come to to repent and to turn to God and receive salvation at an older age. Um, statistically, at least from what we've been able to measure with people, most uh, the older we get, the less likely we are uh, to to make that kind of fundamental change and turn in our lives. But wh- whatever it is, whenever it happens, the moment we trust Christ and be- we are justified and we become part of the people of God, the Spirit of God comes to indwell. And the, the word indwelling doesn't mean just to live inside us. We're not just talking about preposition, positionally talking, that he's within my body. Although that is an aspect, Paul does says that, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God dwells within you. you your body is your temple. You dwell within the body. You are a spiritual beating. You're not your body. You dwell within that body. Now, the Spirit of God comes to dwell with us to to bond with us in our in our person uh in a personal relationship and the spirit of god teaches us and guides us and escorts us to glory F- frankly the the word indwelling in the new testament if you look in john chapter 15 it says if you abide in me and i in you the word abide in or indwell it, it has the idea of the tabernacle the tabernacle in the old testament was that little tent of meeting that tent were of representing God's presence in the midst of the camp of Israel and escorting them through the 40 years in the wilderness. And so the Spirit of God, is, is He's our tabernacle within us, guiding us. He tells us when to make camp and when to break camp. He tells us when how to make war. How to, he, he teaches us you know, by a flame by night and a, cloud of, and a cloud by day. You know, the way the tabernacle guided the people of Israel in the wilderness, the Holy Spirit is now guiding you and me in His indwelling, abiding presence. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are, we are indwelt by the Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit into the Spirit at the time of our birth in Christ. We are baptized. We are bonded to, fused together, identified with God's Spirit uh, at the time of our spiritual birth. Uh, we are f- filled with the Holy Spirit is our faith response to his indwelling presence. You, the Holy Spirit is, from the time I came to Christ, he has indwelt. He's been guiding my experiences. He's been guiding uh, my steps. He's been protecting me. He's been providing for me. He's been teaching me. Now, I didn't always know he was there, and I wasn't always trusting in his guiding, preserving presence, empowering presence. Uh, only when I learned about the Holy Spirit did I learn how by faith to appropriate the filling of the Holy Spirit. The, the indwelling of the Spirit is God's commitment to us in and through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is given to us as his gift 
to guide us unfailingly and faithfully to to spiritual perfection, to glorification. That's the indwelling. That's God's commitment to me as his child. And he's doing that work. He's always been doing it, and he always is doing it. Even when I'm unmindful of him, even when I'm disbelieving and, and maybe being disobedient even. If I belong to God, the Holy Spirit is doing that in my life. He's teaching me, correcting me, disciplining me, and so on. So the indwelling is the gift of the Spirit that to all of God's people, all of those who by faith have come into the relationship with God through their faith in Jesus the Christ, we are indwelt. We are filled with the Spirit when we consciously, intentionally trust in and uh, obey the leading of the Spirit. We are depending upon the Spirit's work in us. That's how we are filled with the Spirit. And we're commanded to be continually being filled by the Spirit. It's not a one-and-done thing. It's something that we have to uh, be be ye continually being filled. Um, uh, Ephesians 5.18, we are, control- we are commanded to be filled, controlled and empowered by faith, appropriating the control and empowering work of the Spirit by faith. That's what the filling of the Spirit is all about. Now, all of these terms I'm giving to you, you'll find expressions of them in the book of Romans. Uh, and, and, and if you read the book, it'll give you this this very grand overview of uh, God, the redemptive plan of God, of humanity, uh, of, of how God has revealed himself throughout history, both before Israel, after it, Abraham, and after Israel, and now into uh, the church age. We are now all part of Israel. We are all part of the uh, people of God. I will be their God. They will be my people. All who respond to God and love God and and seek God and trust in God, uh, we are brought into his kingdom through the one Savior, one work of redemption. One sa- Some people will be in heaven who never knew about Jesus uh, in this world. They never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, people in the Old Testament, they never heard the word Jesus. They never knew of the, the actual person of Jesus. But they, their faith and trust was in the God uh, of Jesus, the God who sent the Savior. Uh, and by faith, they trusted in the Redeemer, the Savior, that God was going to send someday in their understanding. Or they tr- simply faced it and tr- trusted in faith in God's goodness and God's mercy and God's they, – they fell upon God's mercy and his goodness and, and his kindness and asking, seeking – and God uh, – whatever God revealed to them of himself, if when they responded in faith, the full work of the Redeemer was applied to their life. But in heaven, we'll find out that no one will be there except by the person and work of Jesus the Messiah. There's only one Redeemer, one Savior, one who gave his life in payment for the sin of humanity. There's only one who could and one who did, and his name is Jesus. And we share that message. That's the thing, uh, the last point I think I would like to emphasize from the book of Romans is that this message is needs to be shared. Now, one of the problems we have as a church, as the ecclesia as believers, followers of Jesus Christ in America. I think today one of the problems we're having is a new gener- with a new generation of Americans uh, that we haven't been faithful in sharing. And I'm not just talking about preaching the message, although 
that could be a part of it, standing on street corners and talking with our neighbors and friends and, and in the break room at work, talking to your friends and neighbors about how they can know God and how God loves them. And uh, Yes, there's a problem of our sin and selfishness, but God is God in his love has made a provision for us through his son, Jesus, the Messiah, and that by faith and trust in him, we can receive the free gift of eternal life and we can know God in a personal way and experience him in our life. We, we haven't been good at sharing that message, taking the initiative out in the workplace, out in our neighborhoods, talking, meeting with men and women where they are. They don't have to clean up their life and get rid of their tattoos and start talking without curse words in order to be a Christian. We need to be able to love them anyway, uh, and where they are and how they are, and talk to them human being to human being about the hope and the faith and the trust that we've found. Our experience, what we found, the new life in Christ and His power at work within us, the comfort, the joy, the peace, the strength that He gives us. We need to be able to share that with others and how they, too, can come to know the Lord and come to begin their walk with God. There aren't aren't many people in the world at all who are are totally disinterested in God. Don't believe that lie from Satan that says that people don't care about God. They don't want to know anything about God anymore. Oh, people everywhere want to know about ultimate, ultimate truth, ultimate meaning in life, who we are, why we're here. Everyone, people like to know that. Now, they might not want to know about your church. They may not want to know about uh, your religion, but they want to know about God. They want to know about Jesus, who Jesus is, what he means, what he did for them, what he offers to them. Uh, Over and over again, I've seen that hundreds, hundreds of times over these years. If we will share that message of the simple message of God's love, uh, we don't have to be theologically um, sophisticates and, and, and tell every uh, every little thing. We can tell that simple message, and then as people begin their walk, they begin to grow and they'll understand more and more of, of His redemptive plan, who God is, and and God will begin to make the Bible come alive to them. That's one thing the Holy Spirit does in your life, I'm sure. Uh, he helps, helps us in our prayer life. In Romans eight twenty six, it says the Holy Spirit guides us and helps us to pray God's will for our lives. You need the Holy Spirit to help you in your prayer life. Maybe you're suffering and maybe your, your prayers aren't being answered. Maybe you're not seeing uh, uh, wonders and, and uh, of God working through your prayer. And So trust in the Holy Spirit to teach you how to pray. Trust in the Holy Spirit to teach you about God and His ways and His priorities so you know how to pray for people and in how to love people. And we need to start taking the initiative, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and not hiding away in our in our church homes and places. Maybe this coronavirus is good. It's gotten us out of our four corners and four walls of our church buildings and got the church. We are the church. It's got us out now in the neighborhood, out in our with our neighbors and our, with our friends and, and talking and, and, and Zoom meetings with them and, and, and uh, <laughs> texting and emails and telling others, helping them and encouraging them to know about God and how to experience God in their lives. If we, the more we get away from that, the further it, all it takes is one generation to move away from that that power uh, source of the relationship with God. So uh, we need to get back to that. That's one thing that Paul and tells the people of Rome to do. He says that he quotes in Romans ten fifteen that he quotes the prophet Isaiah that said that we have beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of them who deliver good news. And so let's take that to heart 
That's the book of Romans. It's best I could quickly go through it tonight. I hope you know it, love it. Go and listen to it at thebiblelive.com. We'll see you here back next Sunday night on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.